Hello and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats cast number 62. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Gathering Magic and CoolStuffInc.com, who have provided us with gift certificates to give away, with free shipping on orders of $100 or more, a 25% BIOS bonus, and their ever-popular customer rewards program. Cool Stuff Inc. is the store for all of your Magic the Gathering needs. I'm joined this week by Ed, who's wearing a lovely purple Cartel Aristocrats shirt, Jim Casali of ByFakeTwitterFollowers.com, and Travis Allen of Travis's Trousers and Tailor Needs. And of course, I'm Zemet. This week we have a lot on the docket to get to, so let's start with something that Travis was talking about that he thought was important. Now, for those who are getting into MTG Finance, one of the easiest ways to make money is to buy a collection and flip it. But Travis has a good discussion that we're going to talk about today, which is what the hell do you do with said collection? Do you sort of want to get into this, Travis? Yeah, I've done this several times, but it's been quite a while. And on the really large collection, sometimes it's a little unwieldy. So now that you guys have had a chance to uh, refine the process since the last time I did it, I'm wondering what everyone's methodology is here. So the starting point is you, somebody shows up and says, I have a bunch of cards. <clears throat> They're basically unsorted. They're probably in binders, maybe some decks. Uh, and the, some of the more valuable cards are probably set aside. But uh, most importantly, there's no, there's no document. There's no spreadsheet or documentation of what's in the collection. So you're just putting a bunch of boxes and binders in the back of your car. And you get it home and you say, OK, what is the most efficient way to understand what I have in front of me. Cause I have to buy, cause and in fact, I'm doing this with a friend, so I don't have to pay him up front. I'm going to figure out uh, what the buy list value is and then pay him based on that. So I need to take this, all these boxes, turn that into a buy list value so that I can work with that and then take a percentage of those cards, whichever ones I basically think are worth it and sell them online. So you sit down with all these boxes of cards in front of you, binders and deck boxes. How do you guys, like, what is your, your minute process for like, you pick up a card, what do you do? Do you type in the quiet into quite spec or MTG price or any of those sites to get the buy list value and then put it on a buy list mat? Do you, um, then do you, do you write it down on a spreadsheet as you go? Do you wait until you're done? Like, what is the process for that? So to clarify, is this for a friend or is this for just pure profit? I'm purchasing it from a friend. Okay, so you already have a leg up on the competition and the fact that they're going to give you some bit of leeway with either what you offer or how long this is going to take you. They don't need to move the cards right away, which is a huge advantage. Um, normally, to the best of my knowledge, a lot of binder grinders and or armchair speculators will just simply count anything under $2 as bulk, and they'll get that thrown into the collection. We're talking stuff like uh, Mine Crank, uh, Hada Freeblade, all those cards that buy us to normal shops sure, that you can ogre out at a quarter or 50 cents, you're just going to act like those don't exist. But this is when you're buying a normal collection. Uh, what I would recommend doing, Quiet Speculation is some of the best MTG finance technology out there. They have what's called an ion scanner. You can literally scan on your computer through all the cards to make sure you know what the BIOS are and then pay a percentage below that where it's still worth your time to ogre it out. Obviously, checking differently for condition and all that. Uh, they also added channel fireball, so you can see like what a real vendor, a big vendor, is paying on stuff. So, say Card Kingdom is paying a dollar on how to free blade, and channel fireball is only paying fifty cents. Well, you put that in the fifty cents pile, and then you sell that to Card Kingdom to make it worth your time of digging through all this stuff. So, I'd recommend going on Quiet Speculation. Um, they have a hundred percent cash back thing if you don't like it after like a month. 
and just downloading the ion scanner technology and scanning through all your cards. And for any listeners, this is a great way to inventory your collection as well, as far as what's buy listing for stuff. Uh, Ed, you obviously have a pretty good experience with this. Travis, do you know how many figures we're talking for this collection? Mm -hmm. When you say a big collection, do you mean like 300 bucks or is it like 10 grand? I expect the buy list value to land somewhere between five and 10,000. Okay, so that's not that big of a collection. Ed, you see those all the time. Do you want to sort of get into how you feel about this? <laughs> so, assuming that I'm not buying from a friend here, like obviously if I'm buying from a friend or someone who I actually need to pay real numbers on, then uh, I, I guess I, I should I should be careful what I say. I pay real numbers to everyone. But um, assuming that there's no like personal attachment to this or whatever, or I... Um, Usually, what I do is if it's complete unsorted, it's in, it's just a mismatch of like boxes, binders, etc. I'll just kind of thumb through everything real quick. Like I'll grab a random stack from a box. I'll like flip through the binders. Um, if there's literally no organization, I'll just basically say like bulk rate on boxes. Like if I see rares in there, like a small smattering of rares, then like I'll give a slightly better amount. But basically, I'll just say like okay, all these boxes are common, uncommon, just to whatever the bulk rate is. And then the rares, like, I'll kind of go through and then just realistically just pull out, like, rares are, like, $5 or more, mainly because if it's a large enough collection and they're looking to get rid of all of it, they're probably not going to split hairs over a bunch of, uh, over a bunch of, like, one, one, $2 commons, under commons, and whatnot. So I'll just give them, like, very, very competitive rates on the better stuff and then just more or less kind of bulk out the rest of us. Like, unless I see, like, enough good things that would basically make me say oh you're missing quite a few things in here like i'll start going through and pulling out like the the five to eight dollar like common or uh uncommons and like more like casual rares that kind of fall in that category okay so this is all good information but i guess i, I want to be a little more specific about a, a part of it you have the cards on your desk right you have you have them all and you're like okay i have to do something with these now do you you look them up, I assume, on some sort of buy list tool. Uh, you pick it up. You're like, I don't know how much this is worth. Oh, let's assume you don't know how much it's worth. You look it up on some buy list tool. What do you physically do with the card at that point? Do you put it on a buy list mat? Do you just put them all in a stack? Do you write the name down on your computer? Like for inventory management, How do you? what do you do once you have the cards in your hand? So is this that you're going to prove to your friend exactly how much you're paying or are you going to visually show them exactly how much you're going to pay? Because there's a big difference between the two. The deal we made was that I would pay him based on the buy list value. And okay. I, and I want to have a physical, I want to have a, a digital inventory of it too, um, just to make everything easy. So I have to produce a buy list value for at least the reasonably valuable stuff. And then I also need to input a bunch of them in the TCG player. So simply all you have to do is scan everything through the ion scanner. It'll automatically create a, sp a spreadsheet for you. You just take away all the Card Kingdom and MTG Seattle stuff until only Channel Fireball is left. You pay them based off Channel Fireball buy list, and then you basically make a free 20% for selling it above whatever Channel Fireball is paying. Why do you uh, strip Seattle and Card Kingdom? Are there buy list values? They're like ludicrous. On $2, $3 cards, they're probably twice as much, and you can't conceivably pay that amount and make a profit on the collection if you're going to do that. Those are going to be your outs. Same with MTG Blueprint. Uh, that's like the big thing for bulk. You know, getting $100 per 1,000 row of bulk is real appealing, and you're going to have to put in time for that. 
So how does, I mean, I've, I've seen the, I don't want to turn this into a commercial, but I have seen the, he's been on our cast. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen the device. It looks like there's, what is the pricing for using their service? Like what does this boil down to? Or for quiet speculation or mtgblueprint.com? Uh, quiet spec for using the ion scanner. I want to say it's $5 a month with 111% back uh, guarantee or like $50 for a year. But I'm also grandfathered into $50 a year. You could look it up right away on quietspeculation.com. Oh, so if you have, if you're you a, a member of Quiet Speculation, you have access to the Ion software, correct. basically. Yes. Yeah, there's there's two versions of it. The basic one is the one you get for just signing up and, and having access to like the articles and stuff. Yep. And then there's also sure the it's... store the store version or the pro version, which has a couple more features for like Crystal Commerce and stuff. But you can easily do this just by sitting there and scanning through cards while watching Netflix. Literally zero, literally zero effort on your part. Instead of uh, looking at BioList, you literally are just scanning stuff through a through your actual webcam, which is how it functions. You just tilt your webcam down. You put a light shining right at the uh, the the desk. And you just scan cards and go. And then voila, you have a BIOS. You can adjust it based on vendors. You click one button, it submits the BIOS. You package it up and ship it off. You never look at it again. All right, I can work with that. That sounds reasonable. Now, as far as your high-end stuff goes, there's like four ways to move it. Three of them are pretty normal. One of them's a little risky, but I like the fourth one a lot. Uh, your first one is selling on TCG. That takes a lot of time, a lot of effort. Your profit margins are higher. Your second one is posting on Twitter. That's a little less effort. Uh, you have to do a little more shipping, but you literally just say, tweet pictures of these cards with whatever stupid hashtag like card garden you need to put, and then <laughs> your followers go and buy them if you're Jim because you have 7,000 followers. Um then you can also go to a Grand Prix, which is a little harder for you. You can ogre that stuff out. You can just ship the competitive stuff to Hariuya. You can ship the casual stuff off to Ed. Everyone's happy. The fourth way, which I've recently started experimenting on and writing a article on, though it is not done yet, is I haven't gotten everyone's numbers back, is you literally, we have like extra inventory sitting in the shop that I've bought, thrown in a closet, and forgot about. I've taken like five figures of inventory, thrown it in a box, shipped it off to like six different, seven different vendors at this point and said, just pay me your BIOS number because I know what I'm in it for. And five of the vendors have been above what I thought I was going to get. And one of them was right where I was, where I was expecting to get. So that's the laziest way you can do it is just say, I'm going to make like a 10% margin and I'm just going to ship it off to another vendor like deals. I've, I've done this with deals for five figures. I've done this with Brute Force MTG. I've done this with um, Tales of Adventure. I've, I've had Card Advantage drive to Missouri to pick stuff up before. Like when you start getting more cards and more clout, vendors are willing to make that trip to come and get stuff for you. Or you can just ship it and insure it heavily. So that would be the least financially wise way, but the fastest to recover your money. Because you yeah. don't even need to, you don't even need to submit stuff to a BIOS. You literally just throw stuff in a box and ship it off. And if they give you a number you don't like it, you say, "All right, ship it back." Yeah, I uh, I haven't decided exactly where I'm gonna how I'm gonna break it down, but I'll probably take anything worth like eight bucks or more and put it on TCG Player. And I don't know what I'm gonna do with the smaller stuff yet. I'll have to see how much of it is and what the deal is. But I would recommend ogring it because your your high end stuff is where you're gonna make that money back. That eight dollars and above is your sweet spot where the profits really marginalize. So you make your money back on that stuff. You wait for your one grand per a year and then you bulk out the rest of that stuff because most of it shouldn't be hit by reprints. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, you're right. Although, you know, that's not very 
often. What uh, what do you guys? I'm curious. Think about um, can you ogre at a Star City event lately? Like, is that possible? Because there's one in town here uh, in about a month. Ed has a very yeah, but Ed has a very good uh, explanation of Star City vendors versus Grand Prix vendors. Was that you who was talking about that on Twitter, Ed? That wasn't me. Oh, okay. Well, someone was talking about, I thought it was Ed, it was some vendor, about how the quality of vendors at Star City events is generally less than the quality of vendors at Grand Prix events, and the ratio of players to vendors is worse off at Star City events than it is for GPs. So the okay. you could you could argue that they don't have to pay as much, but you could also argue that they have less players to choose from, and because of that, they're more desperate to get in cards. You could see something like Vegas, where... Uh, the boosts in the back left really needed cards, and the boosts in the in the right were just like going through money like crazy because they just couldn't stop buying. So, I mean, you can also blueprint all this stuff because you know exactly what you're getting for it. If ten ten cents on a bulk common sounds good for you, if you want to put that time in, that's a great way to spend your weekends and uh, help pay for a nice scotch or something. So a great week, a great way to spend your weekend is to make a buy list order of ten cent commons. You have some horrible weekends ahead of you. No, because I would argue that if this is this big of a collection and Travis makes 20% on this collection, he's basically getting paid $1,000 per weekend that he's putting in. Yeah, so, I haven't decided to what granularity I'm going to do with this. Like, I guess if the scanner works, then pumping all the stuff out of buy list is reasonable and shipping it someplace, but I don't know. Normally, I would not bother to buy list all that crap, all the five and ten cent cards, but that's because I'd be doing it all manually. And they all add up real fast. That's like the best part about bulk. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all those dimes, it's free money. I will say, I brought like, I don't know, three, two and a half long boxes to Vegas, one of which was nothing but five and ten cent cards. And the highest value, I had like maybe 40 cards that were worth more than a dollar. Uh, out of that group. I brought all the, all the Vegas and walked away with like $700 in buy list value. I was like shocked at how much it added up to, which was yeah. nice. So it can really be worth it. Um, and if anyone has any questions, you're welcome, more than welcome to reach out to us on our Facebook page, our Gathering Magic page, or our Twitter page. Uh, we have spent about 20 minutes going over this, but yeah, there's a lot of way to move Magic cards. It's also, it's almost like the um, secondary economy is huge for this sort of stuff or something. But as soon as you start getting up into five figures, it can be worth a vendor's time for them to either fly people in to buy the collection or have them drive you to pick it up. So that's also something you could consider. I mean, you are in New York. The worst case, you could go to TCG Player and use their buy list, even though it's not as great as some of the other places out there. That If you need emergency cash back, it really just depends on how much money you put in and how much how fast you want to see this stuff return. So like that's the biggest thing for a lot of people is don't don't go broke chasing every magic card. You you do need to be able to flip your stuff. So give us the question for the winner of a $25 cool stuff gift card this week. So this week I have a gentleman whose name I can say and I will not mess up, Brian Jones. You have won this week. So please send us a message on Facebook or Twitter, and I will get back to you with uh, with your gift certificate. But he asks, after a month into the site being available, do you guys have any more thoughts on Cardsphere? I know Jeremy was spending some time on it when it launched. To me, personally, it's been great, albeit a small group, and the site continues to get better 
uh, I don't know. He's just asking if if uh, Card Sphere is is good. I think there's some typos, or I'm not, I'm like not reading it correctly. But what is your thought on Card Sphere now after a month of it being available? Uh, why does it always come back to Card Sphere? Um, the site is good. The site continues to grow, and I'm getting buy list. I'm basically just setting up my own buy list on Card Sphere and getting cards shipped. So nothing to complain about, but I'm also not shipping cards. I'm just literally saying, here's what I'm going to offer you on these cards. And then I either get an email that says you're getting sent cards or I don't. So that's pretty much it. I, uh, uh, I've been on the other end as I've been trying to sell stuff. And so far it has been pretty underwhelming. I've shipped uh, one card. Uh, one, there was one card that was the person was offering enough that it actually made it worth it. Um, and I've been checking every day for <clears throat> well over a month. I don't know. Maybe the stuff I'm trying to sell isn't good enough. Like the, it's not in the right, I shouldn't say it's not the correct market for card sphere. Cause it's all a little higher end. I don't know. Anyone else want to chime in on card sphere? So I think they're a lot, right? Like, I think we're kind of at that point where they, they have the right idea. I think they're definitely implementing it correctly. It's uh, it's definitely it's definitely a huge improvement over uh, Luka Train. But until I think they get a certain critical mass where they have, like, the a sufficient amount of, like, input and output, then I think you're going. it's going to be kind of slow to pick up speed. Like, I'm just looking at the front page right now. Like, top 10 wanted cards. Scalding Tarn, Mystery Rainforest, Vernon Catacombs, Air Mace, and Marshlands great right like and the top 10 cards that people are trading are uncommon serum visions fatal pushes uh path exile aether hub inquisition calls like spell pierce stubborn now right so obviously there's like a little like it's a little bit disjointed right like clearly no one's going to be trading all those like a pile of uncommons into like you know like the best cards of magic uh, until we kind of hit that point i think it's going to be kind of slow to pick up uh that being said i do have like a small pile of like personal cards that are kind of staying around and I do think that, like, it's something that I'll definitely look into. Um, I think there's some balance between what Jeremy and uh, Travis are doing, right? It's not like, yes, there will be people who, like, only want to buy cards on there, and then there will be people who only want to sell cards on there. And realistically, in order for the site to really start taking off, there has to be kind of a balance of both. And how far away we are from that, I'm not really sure. Um if I look, let's see, like top ten, top ten senders by value, the top person is a thousand forty, uh, three hundred forty-six dollars. The tenth person is five hundred forty-seven dollars. So there's definitely a fair amount of transactions happening. Again, it's just a matter of kind of getting people to kind of adapt to the system, get used to it, and more people to just both be buyers and sellers in the system before it really starts to take off. Good points. Anything else before we move on with uh, the next subject? Ed, this is a great one for you and I. Hour of Devastation drops on Friday, and dear lord, are we counting our fat stacks of uh, MTG Finance gold bricks over here? So, uh, about the set EV of Hour of Devastation and the masterpieces, now that we're entering the final tr the final lap, as it were, Ed, if you want to start this off. Ugh, God, why do I always get the not fun questions? Um... Like, obviously, it's no secret out there. Like, if you look on mtggoldfish.com, Saffron Olive, he published his article earlier this morning about the EVO set. Um, it's no secret the set is a pretty abysmal. I think the math on the article said something like $61 uh, 
and change without counting the masterpieces and counting the masterpieces you're at like $82 which is barely above our costs um so we have this interesting dynamic I think he I'm, I'm basically summarizing what he said in his article so the first point he made is that the set sucks yeah we get it the problem is that we don't know like what sucks about it right like that he compared it to Dragon's Return here the last set that had a like a similarly low EV without the masterpieces to balance it out and he said that there were a lot of cards that kind of picked up speed as the format slowly developed. People started to realize that, oh, Dragonlord Ojutai is great. Dragonlord Songar is definitely playable. There, so there's this kind of like set of cards that they were so low, they basically had no choice but to go up. So anyone who was willing to jump in and basically make some sort of investment, like if I went and said, like, I'm going to pull a card out randomly. Uh, what card could you play? Like, uh... The namesake card? Well, the, that, that was been trending up. Like, I don't think it's any secret that that card is quite good. That card's going to be very playable. Um, but a card like... Uh, yeah, these cards are terrible. No, um, I, think, I think there's some good ones. Like, I, I think Hour of Promise could be one that is not quite on everyone's radar just yet because we have to see how everything shakes out and see if you can play a five-minute ramp spell into what is, like, just probably going to be an Eldrazi. Right, but I think if you're looking for, like, a larger return on the set, I think you want to be looking at, like, the Mythics, right? Mainly because rares, there's just going to be simply too many rares opened. Or maybe not that many rares opened, which was another point that uh, that was brought up in the article, was that if vendors aren't willing to crack open, like, the usual number... Like, for Kaladesh, I think that was one of our largest openings. Uh, we opened, like, literally a million boxes from Kaladesh. And it, it, the, the number's kind of, like, gone down or stayed roughly even since then. But here, realistically, we're not looking at opening very much. And if a lot of vendors do follow suit, then then there's just going to be way less supply instead of having you know instead of you having these vendors that bust open like 500 cases at set release. If they go down to 250, that's obviously a huge amount that's taken out from the system. So if you want to gamble on something like the Scorpion God, like is he super exciting? Who knows? But four dollars and forty five cents if a place that costs you like fifteen sixteen dollars. I'm willing to gamble on that, right? Like, 100 copies is only, like, $450, right? If that card doubles to 8 or $10, right, That that's that's definitely a reason, reasonable amount of profit. And that's a non-zero amount, especially if you want to play it or if you think it has some grounds in, like, casual or whatever. There's definitely a lot of room for it, and I think that's kind of where you stand on our devastation right now. The in, invocations are kind of an awkward spot. A lot of them, you have rather kind of, as opposed to Kaladesh, that has kind of, like, get gradual gradient of like yeah you have like black wise cataclysmic gear hulk they're just abysmal but you have like quite a few mid-range ones like uh like sculpting steel extra planar lens uh what are some other ones gauntlet of power those are kind of all middling ones that are that have casual appeal they're somewhat ubiquitous people do buy them and then obviously you have the super high-end competitive ones like aether vial chalice of the void uh soul ring etc here you seem to have a lot of ones that are either like they're complete crap, like uh, like boils down to like twenty two dollars on the low here. Um, a lot of yeah, choke is kind of in a similar boat. You just have ones that are basically worthless, and you have like the the demand ones like Blood Moon, Omniscience, Damnation. There doesn't really seem to be a middle, which kind of further swings the variance because either your box is really really going to suck if you open a bad box and have no masterpiece, or you have kind of an average box where you have a bad box and a crappy masterpiece or you're going to actually be able to make money by opening one of these like few boxes that have like the good invocations. 
The thing that surprises me the most about this set is how low pre-order prices are. Normally, you expect them to be inflated. Almost all the rares and mythics are already dead in price. I mean, for example, today I received like 3,000 cards from a Japanese vendor overseas that was like $0.08 cents for each bulker, just as a long-term spec. And it's like, worst case, I sell them and I make my money back and I break even. And best case, one of them spikes up to $2 and I buy list them out for $0.50. Cents. So I agree with Ed on as far as like how the gods are concerned here. When these, it, Basically when, if these don't see competitive play, when these go down to like a dollar and I'm able to either A, offer a vendor like 60% for a whopping number of them or just buy a lot of them from a single source overseas. I'm just going to do that because it, it really is not going to cost that much money to just sit on these and hope that they break out in two years. Um, especially at stuff like that blue-black god that's a zombie that exiles stuff. Like That's one I've got my eyes on because it's card advantage in zombies as far as letting you scry and getting stuff back. So if that thing goes down to a dollar, sure, I'm going to throw a couple hundred bucks at it and then just sit on it for a while. There's nothing wrong with that in my opinion. And yeah, people may hate the, this side of MTG Finance, but it's really, you re can't really lose money on this sort of stuff when stuff goes down to a bulker and you just try to play the market right. So um, as far as buying this stuff goes, when people are coming to sell this, when they open their horrible boxes on Friday, I'm going to be able to pick up like a full set of these cards for almost nothing for like $20 on a buy list. And that makes it really... Um, appetizing for vendors because you have a lower amount of cash flow to buy all these cards in when all the prices aren't worth anything in the first couple of weeks. Uh, similar to Dragons of Tarkir, where I just spend $20 buying someone's open box instead of $40, and the card spike and I make even more free money. So I really like this set, even with standard sucking in two years when masterpieces start to rotate out, that I'm just going to pay a very small amount of money to buy in these cards and sit on them for a while. So that's that's my thoughts. Like I'm not a fan of the set, but I'll I'll happily accept cheaper cards that cost less of my bankroll to spec on. Uh, Travis is more of an armchair armchair speculator. How do you feel about this? Well, this set is uh, is Russian roulette. I think um, you know the the parallel obviously that we've seen talked about is uh, Dragons of Tarkir. Um, the other one is Dragons Maze. <clears throat> So Dragons of Tarkir looked like garbage and then turned north and looked really good after a while, whereas Dragon's Maze didn't look that great and then tanked, um, which had the very unique uh, effect of driving voice of resurgence's price insane because it was the only good card in the set. Like Blood Baron of Escopa was playable, but it was really all about voice because it was the only good card. Um, so it will really depend on how it all plays out, like in terms of how useful and popular the cards are, which is like just kind of unknown at this point. Um, you could see a lot of room for speculation on some of the gods if it turns out they are good, because Dragon Lord Ojutai was like $3 or $4 at one point and ended up at 20 You could also see everything flatline and the one playable card hit $35 or $40. Um, it I guess it wouldn't be quite as extreme because we have the invocations to balance it out a little bit, but you'll still have whatever the standard playable card is skyrocket in price. There's not much to do at this point for us other than sit back and watch and see if you can figure out what's going on. Um, I guess it, it is a little more interesting than something like, I don't know, I feel like Keith, Keith Kaladesh or Aether Revolt, the pre-order prices were higher across the board, which made it much harder to get in in our position. Like Even if you thought a card was good, the pre-order price was probably too high. Jim? Yeah, I totally agree. 
Uh, I actually ended up pre-ordering some cards, mostly because the prices were so low. Like, um, mostly, I, I I ordered a lot of foils uh, because basically my expectation is when pre-orders go up, the, the foils are just always going to be too expensive. It doesn't matter like what card it is. Like, the regular price is going to be too expensive, and then the foil like pre-order uh, multiplier is just going to be too high for a lot of those cards, but it really didn't feel that way. Like I bought like mostly casual things, but like EDH foils and whatever, but I really didn't feel like they were much higher than I was going to expect. Like, I feel like I, I did well and I'll probably be very happy in, you know, a couple of years if I just had some extra copies of some of these things. But this is very weird. There's a lot of bad mythics and, there's a lot of cards that people think are good, but I'm just like totally confused as to why they're so expensive. Like, uh, Ramunap Excavator is the most expensive rare in the set, and it's like one, it's like the fourth most expensive card in the set that's not a masterpiece, and everyone gets one release weekend. Like, this doesn't make any sense. Either people just don't know that that's the card that you're going to be able to get a copy of for free, or they just like really like the art. I'm just like not, my, I'm not totally understanding. My EH. Players are going insane for that card. They're putting it in like Carador and basically every green deck that they can. Yeah, I know it's a re- it's a it's you know basically a five dollar Crucible of Worlds, but like you're gonna get everyone. Literally everyone gets a foil one on release weekend that goes to a shop and plays. So I don't understand why people are rushing out to get it. Maybe, uh, I think a lot of it's maybe the people just don't know that it's there. But well, as far as as far as the EDH players are concerned, they're not going to be there. Friday, and I think they just want their cards to play with. Because this set's buying is so low, a lot of players are just like, I'm not going to wait for the price to go down. Fuck it, I'll spend $5. And then I don't have to worry about picking one up. I guess. I mean, I guess that's a thing you can do. I, I was just very confused as to why that's happening, but this set has a lot of, like, really weird cards that don't look like they're going to be very good initially, but I feel like they will be once people start playing with them. Um, so one of the things that I'm looking at now is like everything is going to change drastically in three months. There has to be some cards in this set that are going to be good and they might not be good right now, but because the pre-order prices are so low, it, it might actually be worth buying some of them, which is kind of rare. I don't know. There's just a lot of, there's a lot of little, there's a lot of things that are weird about this set. I'll point out that the something's got to be playable, uh, again, was proven basically incorrect by Dragon's Maze. <laughs> You're right. Like, it feels like that should be the case, but everyone thought that Dragon's Maze would have something come out of the woodwork, and it just didn't. So, uh, yeah. I... Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. It's, it's worth noting that because I'm looking at not opening um, as much product, like we still need to be able to stock the store. Like there's still like casual players who will come in and want to spend like two to five dollars on a lot of these uh, um, cards. Like I'm totally willing to actually raise my buy list instead of paying like my normal numbers. Like I I'm probably willing to pay up to like seventy percent on some cards just to have them in stock because paying seventy percent and making like basically breaking even or making like a very very small amount for a card is still better than opening up a box even at cost and then losing like you know like like 20 bucks to like just trying to spin the wheel boxes so 
And then, like, I, that, like, that's one of the gambles I want to take on the set. I feel like there might be other vendors in the same boat because, obviously, we have to fill pre-orders. We have to be able to sell cards. And one of the ways to do it, again, is just to raise your buy list and make sure that you can fulfill those orders. And then you just kind of go from there. Good point. I mean, I, yeah, the set is not going to be good with labor and shipping and everything else involved to crack boxes. So... Anything else you guys want to touch on as far as our devastation goes? Any pre-releases you guys might have gone to or attended? Anything like that? Uh, I went to the pre-release under protest. I played one where I only lost to the person who was playing seven. I was very salty. Don't play Magic. I was at midnight and I worked 20 hours. Oh, man. I almost had the 20-hour shift, and then I went home at, like, 9 o'clock. I was like, I've already been here since open. I'm not staying till 6 in the morning. So oh, I lucked yeah, out. That sounds miserable. Don't do the midnight pre-release. That's definitely the lowest possible EV plan that you could have. Well, it was going to be, like, get there at, like, 10 and then stay there until 6, just working the entire time because we were so far behind on inventory. But, uh, Yeah. Let's talk about something else that uh, a viewer, we, we actually got like, thanks thanks for everyone that tunes in. We got like 50 questions for this week. We got like 15 through Gathering Magic, another 15 through Facebook and Twitter. Um, here's something I think we can all relate to. Someone wanted to know about can burnout. for a second? Oh, How man. How to 50 from 15 and 15? 15 plus 15 plus 15 plus what my locals asked me because they listen to this cast. Yeah, I don't know. That's some shifty math. That's like that's like Heliod Violet's <laughs> math. I'm doing some Trump math over here, man. I only have to be on by about three million votes. Um I've got so one of my locals asked me about burnout when it comes to MTG finance and uh just like traveling in general. Uh he wanted to know how we eat healthy, uh, which most of us don't. Uh on the road at Grand Prix and how to prevent like just getting stuck doing MTG finance all the time. Because what a lot of people don't realize is like your return is not that good unless you're doing these $5,000 collections. Uh, so real quick, cause we, we do have a lot of questions. Like how do you guys feel about burnout in the finance scene and traveling? Uh, I don't do it cause it's a waste of my time. Mostly I'd rather do things with my weekend other than that. Uh, I suppose this is another one I'll answer. Um, this is actually something that I've been struggling with quite a bit. It's one of those things where you, it's a super degenerate lifestyle, right? Like you basically, like weekends where I have booths, I spend like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday preparing for them. Thursday is usually a full travel day. Uh, living in the sticks means that I'm pretty far from the airport. So if I fly out of Albany Airport in New York, it's about a 40-minute drive there. Um, we usually take the first flight out at six in the morning um, from Albany and depending on where we're going, we usually don't get there until like mid afternoon, midday. <clears throat> um, if we fly out of the city, it's a three hour drive to New York city, depending on traffic. Um, so like leaving at noon, we generally leave the store at about six in the morning just to account for early morning traffic. Um, and then you work like 40 hours over the weekend and then you either fly out first thing Monday morning to get back to the store to start processing stuff or you leave Sunday night and get back super late and get to the store Monday morning and start processing stuff. Um, so like the strategies I have, um, 
drink a lot of water. Like I basically always make a Walmart run, make sure like we have enough water. Um, and however much water you think you need, buy like twice as many cases. Um, it helps to not eat crappy food all the time. So I usually like buy kind bars. I usually buy bananas. Um, I'm kind of a fan of packaged tuna. It's not super healthy, but it's low in calories. It has a lot of protein and it's not like super greasy. It's not super fatty. Um, I, I like Walmart salads, oddly enough. Um, again, they're prepackaged, but it's cheap. It's efficient. It's better than spending like $10 on convention center food. Um, you have to sleep as much as you can. I'm pretty good at like sleeping on planes and uh, in cars. He's a wizard. Yeah, apparently. Um, so I'm really good at that. So I basically have to try and catch up as much sleep as I can because on Grand Prix weekends, like there are definitely Grand Prix weekends where I've slept like maybe six hours all weekend, which is a super, super unhealthy lifestyle. And then once you start chaining like, you know, two or three of these weekends together, like at the end of the month, like you just feel sick. You just get, uh, you like you actually do get sick. Uh, you just, you're just tired, restless. It's hard to get things done. Um, How many hours just, do you sleep at Vegas? <laughs> uh, I mean, there are, there are definitely two nights where I literally just stayed out all night and just went straight to the site. So. There, are, there are other vendors that have woken up at like midnight after the first night and just started pricing cards. And they looked absolutely like I bought them coffee when I was walking in on third Friday morning. They just looked miserable from that night before. So. But yeah, Ed fell asleep on the way to the casino. Like that's how tired he was. We got in a car and he just passed out. Yeah, like it's it's not a healthy lifestyle. Like you have to do things. Like I've been trying to get better about bringing like gym clothes uh, as part of my kit and making sure like wherever I am, I spend like some time like working out, like lifting weights or just doing cardio on the treadmill or whatever. You just basically have to try and do what you can. Like yeah, it's tempting to just go over to convention stand and get like chicken tenders and fries and spend ten bucks and be lazy about it. But at the end of the day, like if you repeat that like three times over the course of the weekend, you're just gonna feel like complete shit on the way back. So that's something you have to actively avoid. You have to make a conscious, conscientious effort. Like it's not it's not easy, um, but you just have to try and do what you can. Travis, I mean, this doesn't really come up for me nearly as much as it would for these guys. Um, eh, yeah, I mean. <clears throat> I've never experienced burnout the way these guys might. The only place I might possibly experience burnout is in the content production, given that I'm writing an article, I do a webcast and I do a podcast, but that's a very different type of burnout that I'm pretty sure nobody else is encountering. So just listen to these guys, drink a lot of water. You know what I'll tell you? Buy a nice water bottle. They are worth their weight in gold. It will make your life so much better if you buy one of those things and never let it be out of arm's reach. And get an insulated one like I do. It keeps it nice and cold. And I'm just going to tune in real quick, not related to the health stuff, because I'm currently fighting the battle of the bulge. Um, as far as finance burnout goes, like you shouldn't be spending every single extra minute of your day looking at magic finance. In the end, it's just cardboard. You should have like priorities outside of magic, which I found a lot of locals don't have. They just live and breathe magic as soon as like they're done with something else. Like, I'm currently pursuing a degree. Um, I want to learn how to do a, how to learn how to uh, waltz, stuff like that. Like it, it's not magic is not conducive to uh, any of that because especially for finance, you want to spend all your free time sorting and it's important to have a healthy lifestyle balance outside of magic. If it's not your main job. Uh, 
but we're going to see how Doug does with that because he's currently transitioning into full-time magic. I, I just couldn't do that. That's just too much magic for me. Um, Ed, do you want to get into the next question that you thought was a good thing to bring up? Yeah, um, I someone tweeted at us at the Cartel uh, Twitter. Um, I think it was like a few days ago. I don't remember the exact nature of the question, but I think if anyone can help me out here, I think it was something along the lines of like, how do you guys ship out magic cards? Or, like what step do you use? Um, again, because I don't unfortunately remember the exact nature of the question, I'm just going to kind of give a general breakdown. Um, I imagine most vendors are in a very, very similar boat. So I, there should be a ton of variation. Um, so you ha- there's a certain threshold where you have to break up your orders. Um, and there's and depending on what that threshold is, is whoever you feel comfortable with. I suspect the bigger you are, the higher that threshold gets. And that's basically the threshold where these, these orders will go into plain white envelopes with a stamp, and these orders have to be tracked. Um, I'm sure you guys can give some input on this, but for us, I think it's roughly about $25. Um, I know there are vendors that go up to like $40, which is kind of insane to me, but the logic goes as follows. Whenever you, wherever you charge for shipping, a lot, a lot of the best vendors charge anywhere from free shipping to 99% shipping. Um, not that many vendors make people pay for their bubble mailers, mainly because the idea is that you want to charge more for your cards and charge people less for shipping. Um, and I, and I, I assume that most of the smaller people working their way up as well, like people who just casually sell cards um, from their own collection, they probably charge 99 cent shipping as well. Um, by, char- by having to uh, spend the $2.61 plus like five cents on the bubble mailer plus like an extra like 2.5 cents on top loader plus penny sleeve, you're losing, you're losing like a dollar uh, if you charge 99 cents shipping, you're losing like a dollar seventy per transaction, which is is something that further eats in your margin after fees, um, after fees that take out of, of PayPal and uh, TCG Player. Uh, so by raising that threshold, like yes, you lose. Like you're going to have the people who are always going to scum you. Like oh, I didn't receive my like like thirty nine dollar ninety five cent order or whatever. But you're saving money. You're saving that dollar seventy per order, and realistically, unless you're losing like what, like five percent of your orders, you're it's going to be you're better off raising that threshold. That being said, the methodology for just packing those orders, uh, we have a third party uh, program that we use to print out labels for us. Uh, I suspect most people just use PayPal multi order shipping. Um, everything we do, basically, like with a certain number of cards that go inside mobile mailer. If it's something very expensive, like it's like an invocation or something, we just uh, card into penny sleeve into top loader depending on the weather i like to put the top loader inside a team bag it just prevents it like if there's moisture or something one it keeps the card completely dry and there's just no issues inside the bubble mailer uh then we fold up the invoice and put it in um for anything less than our 25 dollars, we just uh fold up the invoice same method of packing uh Generally, like if it's one to three cards, it'll go in like one penny sleeve. If it's more than that, we'll kind of cram up to ten to twelve cards in one penny sleeve, and then put it inside a team bag. Make sure there's a top loader to keep it uh, hard and firm, and then just put that inside a team bag. So again, it stays dry because um, uh, plain white envelopes are more prone to having like get dropped in a puddle or something. That's ha- definitely happened before, and um, and having a team bag definitely prevent that from being being a bigger disaster and then they get sorted out and then you just put them you then you just tag them with stamps and send them out um that being said because we do sell more things than just cards we have like multiple bubble mailers uh just kind of kind of scaling up 
Um, one thing that's worth knowing, depending on how much it costs you for shipping, it sometimes is cheaper to put cards into a 400 or 500 count box and put that inside a flat rate priority envelope than it is to put a label onto the 500 count box itself. Travis, how do you ship cards? Um, I actually wrote an article about this a while ago, which I will try and put in my Twitter bio, I think maybe probably the best place to put it that I wanted to stand, have um, stand as a, uh, <clears throat> a universal guide to it. But I can actually tell you exactly what I do is if it's my cutoff for bubble mailer to plan on envelope is about $25. Um, but I, <clears throat> if I'm selling through TCG player, which is mostly what I do, um, I get an order for a card, let's say 10 or $15. I download the um, packaging information or the, the shipping information from TCG player. They do a uh, Excel export. Um, I then open Twitter, open Word, do a uh, new mailing, add that Excel document as the uh, as the source, as a list of recipients. You um, drop it in address block, and then I print out on envelopes right off of my home printer, um, set up set up pretty easily. Uh, that prints my return label, my return address and the other person's address, so it's not too difficult. Um, then I take the card, I put it in a normal sleeve, I put it upside down in a top loader. Then I take um, post, not not post-it notes, but like a little piece of paper, pad piece of paper, you know, like three inches by three inches. I cut the sleeve, cut those in half, and on each one of those pieces of paper, I write the TCG order number, what they ordered, and uh, my Twitter handle, which is the same name as the store on TCG player. And then I tape the uh, top loader closed with that piece of paper. So when the person opens the envelope, they're getting a top loader with a sleeve inside of it, a card inside the sleeve. It's secured by a little piece of paper with order number, uh, inven what they ordered and who sold it to them, which is taped over the opening. And then I tape that onto the inside of the envelope. Um, and then I tape the edges of the envelope shut. I don't do any packing slips because it's a huge waste of paper and I'm trying to be green. So instead of having a whole sheet of paper that I have to shove in the envelope, it's only like a one by three square of paper. Um, if you're doing like hundreds of orders a day, I can see I would probably come up with a different process, but I, you know, I'm only averaging like maybe five TCG sales a day. So it's not a problem. Um, also I this without doing printing a packing label or pre, pre, without printing a packing slip, I can use much smaller envelopes, which tend to be pretty cheap. Um, bubble mailers, it's a similar concept. The only difference is that um, instead of using the TCG player stuff to generate the shipping label um, and printing that through Word, I instead just um, type it into the PayPal multi-order shipping that Ed was talking about. If you get enough of those orders, like over $25, you can import shipping data into that too. Um, but you know, normally I only have like two or three tops, so I don't bother. Um, but if I had like 10 or more, I would do that import from TCG player there as well. Jim? I do mostly the same thing that Travis does. Um, my threshold's a little bit higher at $30 and I print out the packing slip, but I trim it before I print it or like I crop out the tops and the bottoms that don't matter. Like basically I, I, take the TCG order form and take out the part where it has like the return address, like, cause it's supposed to be put in a, in a envelope that has a window so that you just wrap the order and then put it in the envelope. But I don't use those types of envelopes. So it's pretty useless to me. So I just crop that part out and then print it. So I get like two or three orders per page instead of one. I don't so ship I any. 
Sorry, go ahead. I'll, I'll jump in at the end. I see how it is, Ed. I don't ship anything under $50 with tracking unless they pay extra. It just makes my margin so much better. Like, I will literally just throw, which I know I've done with, like, Zaxos Magic and some of the other finance guys. I've thrown, like, Scrublands and Plain White Envelopes and just shipped them off. I shipped uh, Nerdwalla, like, a Foil Force of Will and something else, and an Underground Sea and a Plain White Envelope. Like, that's... Uh, but that was because, like, he didn't care. Like, for other customers, it's just plain white envelope under 50. That's the rule unless they pay extra because there's options for that with expedited shipping and stuff on TCG. Um, but I actually don't even do any of the shipping myself. Other people do it, and then they get paid for it. So, yeah, I don't know what they really package it. They just take care of it, and we have, like, 99.9% feedback with 10,000 sales on TCG. It's good enough for me. Ed, you were saying? Yeah, uh, so the question was, um, I actually pulled up on Twitter. I'm a newer listener, so you may have covered this, but what is your preferred method to pack and ship cards? We kind of covered that. The second part is, does this change with quantity slash price? The price we kind of touched on, the quantity is uh, the last part. Um, depending on how big you are, um, usually you want to buy things in bulk. The sweet spot for your supplies, you want to get um, <clears throat> your pennies, your penny sleeves down to about 0.6 cents per uh, penny sleeve, which if you're you have to be able to buy in bulk to that, uh, top loader should get down to about uh, I want to say like two cents, like 1.8 cents per top loader. Um, you can buy plain white envelopes from like Sam's Club, Costco. If you buy them in 500, 500 count lots, I think you get them down to like 1.6 cents per envelope. Um, you should never buy stamps from the post office. You can actually print out stamps from stamps.com. That brings your cost uh, from 50 cents for a uh, forever stamp down to 46 cents. Um, bubble mailers, we order them like by the pallet, so that's probably not applicable to most people. But for bubble mailers, I, you, you probably need to be paying between like 8 cents and 10 cents per bubble mailer. Um, so those are kind of thresholds you use. Obviously, like if you're going to go to Office Depot and you only buy like 10 envelopes at a time, you're paying the full like $2 or whatever they charge you for the bubble mailers. Um, so if it's something you do plan on doing long-term and in large scale, then definitely look at ways. There's definitely plenty of sites like through Amazon or wherever where you can definitely buy a larger amount of shipping supplies to really bring down your costs, which at the end of the day does matter because like it may seem like a trivial amount, but spending like a penny versus 0.6 per penny sleeve that adds up when you send out like thousands of orders over the course of however long that takes you to send out thousands of orders. I, uh, I have a couple of thoughts here. So I order my crap through Amazon um, and I get pretty good rates on the envelopes because I buy them in like a huge lot. Uh, same with the bubble mailers. I buy like, I don't know, like a couple thousand at a time or something like that um, or a thousand five hundred. I don't know. It's a lot. Uh, so that gets pretty low. Well, how do you print out stamps from stamps.com though? You have a printer, like but, there's there's specialized printers. Oh, okay. So you have to buy a printer that can print st like actual stamps. Like it, you put you feed blank stamp paper into it. Then uh, they're like uh, the uh, the Dymo label know. printers. Like I, Jeremy, I don't know what you use, but we use like we have a computer that has uh, these the the label printers, and they basically print out like it's a little. It, it, they're like the the pre uh, pre printed address things, so they okay. have like two sizes. There's one where it actually prints out the address that we copy and paste the ad their address onto, and then there's a separate one that's specifically made for printing out stamps. Okay, those. I mean, so 
I can totally see that making sense for a store. I cannot imagine that being worth the price of entry for someone like me. For someone like you, just go to stampmaker.com and get one of these things. Well, I'm not talking about the for the return address because return address, I print... I print off my printer at home. So that prints the return address. I'm just talking about the stamps specifically. Cause that stamps from Costco because <laughs> they're actually slightly below their normal forever or uh, forever stamp value. And I think you only have to buy a hundred at a time. Hmm. I, I get them from the post office. I mean, if you're talking about saving like three cents a stamp, if you do it through uh, stamps.com, uh, what's the cost of one of those Dymo label printers? Probably oh, well over a hundred dollars, right? somewhere between like 80 and 300 maybe that's a lot of envelopes i have to ship before i make the money back just getting them to the post office is easier um but jeremy does bring up a good point is i print onto my envelopes which is a relatively recent change for me and i highly recommend taking a couple minutes to figure out how to do it on your own setup but if that's not an option for whatever reason um i used to print order shipping labels from like vistaprint that was the least efficient way. The thing Jeremy showed you guys that you can get custom made is definitely the way to go. Um, the other thing is it's just money, Travis. You shouldn't be concerned about pennies if you're doing this on a small scale and you can get your top loaders down to about what a little above what Ed's paying. If you go through like cardboardgold.com, you only need to buy 3000 top loaders to like get their lowest discount. I think it's a thousand for the first and like, even if you're a small TCG shop, you're going to go through that in like a couple of years, especially with all the master sets coming out. So it's like 60 bucks for a thousand or like 2000, some number of top loaders shipped to your house with free shipping. And then you just throw them in a corner and never look at them again until you need them. Uh, I'll try and post this on the Facebook, but the Dymo label writer 450 twin turbo label printer, the one that we have at the store is $96 and 11 cents on Amazon with uh, prime. And okay. then there are, yeah, there's some smaller ones. Like there's a um, that one has two. It has like the longer narrow ones where we print the uh, address on, and then there's one that's specially made for the stamps. And that one's ninety six dollars. If you want like just a single slide, I think I'm sure you can find one that will only print out the stamps. There's one for like forty nine dollars. And I will say I got these envelopes, uh, which I've been pretty pleased with. Um, I got seven hundred and eighty envelopes for nineteen twenty two, which works out to two. 0. 0.0246, um, 2.5 cents an envelope, basically. So that seems a little cheap. high. I don't know. That I still mean, seems a little yeah. high. Um, you're right. Yeah, but if I'm, if I'm averaging like, if you're not going to use all of them, you don't need to buy that many. Like at some point in time, the, the return, the, the savings that you're getting don't materialize if you don't use all of the supplies. All, and also, I think if you're buying collections, you should have, I think if you're buying collections, you should have like a thousand top loaders, a thousand, uh, a thousand envelopes like at all times, just in case you, you hit a collection where you're going to need to ship out a couple hundred things. Well, I mean, it depends on how much you're doing for, I think you, I wonder if you have lost a slight bit of perspective just on the volume of sales, because like I said, I only average a couple sales a day, 780 envelopes will take me like probably between three and six months to go through. Um, which honestly I should probably buy a bigger lot next time I've sold more than I did. But the last time I went way slower than that. I expect most of our listeners to not average several sales a day. Uh, which means that, you know, if you can buy two or 3000 envelopes at a time, um, and if you have spaces of no concern, then go for it. Uh, but for me, it was like having three times as much volume taken up in those envelopes in my house wasn't worth saving. Uh, what half a cent per envelope yeah 
Uh, much like the uh, mailing practices that we're talking about, this conversation is starting to become stationary, so we should probably move on to pick of the week. Oh, you're the worst. <laughs> it's time for the pick of the week. And we'll start with Ed as usual. Burdusker Hulk. It's down to like $5, $6 on TG Player. I have a hard time believing that in the remaining like 15 months of its life that it won't be good in uh, it won't be good in standard at some point in time. I think the 4-4 body and putting counters on your creatures is going to be pretty critical for surviving um, Hour of Devastation, which I do suspect will be a, uh, a key player in like blue-red control decks or basically some sort of like red base control deck, like a red-green ramp deck or something will probably play Hour of Devastation. Um, so if it does kind of go the mid-range route, uh, Verdusker Hulk, which has been my pick before, but it's continued to go down. So if you haven't bought it before, I would definitely say buy it now. I cannot wait until someone buys Verdurus Gear Hulks, plays them in their deck, and then they get abraded because that card is busted. Is that your pick, Jim? Uh, it should be. Um, so abrade, I think, is going to be probably one of the most important cards that is coming out of the new set. It doesn't look very sexy. It doesn't do anything flashy, but it's just it's just really good at what it does. And people are going to try to play dorky artifacts. People are going to play three toughest creatures, and it just does everything you wanted to do. Um, now, generally speaking, it's not going to reach the same level as like Fatal Push. It's not going to be like nine or ten dollars, but it is likely to be of a similar caliber to like Harness Lightning, which was like two dollars three dollars at, at a time so if you play competitive magic and you don't already own a set of these uh these are not that expensive currently so i would recommend getting them before they do become expensive uh especially if people are not opening the set we also have to remember that this set is only going to have three months of redemption because of uh the new magic online stuff so once ixalan comes out you will no longer be able to redeem sets on magic online of uh, Amonkhet or Hour of Devastation. Um, what did you guys say you were paying on Bubble Mailers? Because I got mine for ten cents. That seems kind of high, high-ish maybe. You get them down to like five and a half to six cents. Yeah, I think, I think I, that's yeah, I'm, what at, I said. I'm at I'm at eight cents right now because I'm not buying them by the pallet, but I'm okay with that. This was for five hundred, so but that's five hundred orders, like over twenty five dollars. It's a lot of orders. So wait, that's five hundred, and if you're if so, that has to be nearly thirteen thousand dollars in magic card sales before to go through all those uh, mailers. Oh, IRS. Yeah, there's a person <laughs> I'd like to talk to. I, I have a lot of bubble mailers left. <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, my pick of the week is, I guess. I'm going to go with Putrefy, but um, really you can go with almost any of the NPR cards. Um, we saw Rampant Growth get bought out recently, uh, but supply was already pretty precarious on that. That card is played in a shockingly high number of EDH decks, especially when you consider that Farseek is not played nearly as often, uh, and Farseek definitely should be more than Rampant Growth. Um, but just to give you an idea, those types of cards are basically never getting printed again ever uh, because not putting cards, words on magic cards is a terrible idea. Um, and I think they're all generally pretty well positioned. Supply is very low on all of them. 
Um, Putrefy was my specific pick, uh, but all of them, you know, the better they are in EDH, the better off you are with those. Has anybody looked at the price of Cryptic Command lately? Which one? Besides Zed, doesn't matter. Do you know you. that that card's gone up a ton? Really? I said I said on a bunch of them back when they were like twenty bucks, and buy lists were relatively stagnant. I think Aria was paying like fifteen on them because Japan over thirty something dollars each, and it's it's just something to keep an eye on because this card was ex- expensive before. Smith. Leyline of Sanctity. That card went from like $12. It's now $25, $26. We could see it hit $30, $35 like it used to be again. So those are just two cards to keep an eye on. However, that's not my pick of the week. I just thought that listeners should know that because we're selling out of them. For this week, my pick of the week is going to be uh, Foil Academy Rector. Reserveless cards are stuff that a lot of people are starting to invest in. If you look at Quiet Speculation Trader Tools on MTG.gg, um, multiple shops are upping their buy list because it scrapes buy list data on this card. Uh, two shops have upped it by 4 to $5 in the last day. And that's just something I'm going to keep an eye on to see when vendor demand moves, what people are going to do. Um, this is... Because this is a card that's pretty useful in EDH, and it does look beautiful in foil, and it is on the reserve list. Um, so I know I sound like SIG a little bit here, but that's one that I'm, I'm going to keep an eye on. I wanted so hard to make this a buy for myself. I must have looked this up three times in a week across various sources trying to get in on this, because with Solemnity having been printed, there's an even greater value in Academy Rector, because it's like, oh, damn, if you have Solemnity or Decree in play and you resolve Academy Rector, you can just sack it and get the other half, or you can clone it as it comes into play and then get two, um, get both enchantments. So it does a lot. That and Replenish is another one that I was looking really close at because you can dump them both into your graveyard, Replenish, and bam, there you go. The problem I ran into is that prices, first of all, there's like very few copies. Second of all, prices are already so high. Um, so, I mean, if you can score foils for a reasonable price, but I mean, I mean what's reasonable now? Like $100, $130? Yeah, I think they're 130 now. Looking over... Overseas, you can still grab copies for 100 to 110. I think this hits 175 in a year, and I'd be okay with that return. Urza's foils are hard to move, but like they've been going up a ton. You've seen the Grim Monolith buyout. You've seen the Treachery go up in front of those card names. But it's yeah. just stuff to keep an eye on for Destiny foils. Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, I, I was looking to. I think... Um... You know, I think Metalworker will probably be a good card to keep in mind when you're kind of evaluating this stuff because I see Metalworker is probably indicating sort of the upper threshold on what you can reasonably expect out of those old foils in terms of prices. And that seems to be hanging right around $200. And I don't know what would have to happen in order for that card to go up because it doesn't seem like everything should be right for that and it already isn't as high as I would want it to be. Vendors flipping them very fast in Vegas compared to what Travis thought he could get on TCG, where it was like 30% below TCG player. <laughs> yeah, they were you selling them for a depressingly low them. amount. I think it was just because they wanted to flip them as fast as possible. Um, anything else you guys want to talk about for pick of the week before we get out of here? Nope. Is everyone dead? All right. Well, where can people find you guys? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at PHROST underscore. Edwin13 on Twitter. Um, I'll be in Japan for the Grand Prix next week, and then the whole stretch of Grand Prix in August. 
I am Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write every Monday for MTG Price. I also do the MTG Fast Finance podcast. And if you like playing Magic, check out Scry.land. Find Magic in your area. Jim? Jim already went. <laughs> I went first. Whoops. But uh, what I forget to talk about, hold on, sorry. Uh, if you'd like to enter to win our uh, $25 cool stuff, gift certificate this week uh you will need to post on the gathering magic post that will go up uh probably tuesday i'm zemet you can find me on twitter at zemet sells magic you can find me in the great state of missouri by the washing machines off of highway farty far and farty um if you guys are going to continue to buy fake followers for us on twitter buy them for ed or travis because Jim, my phones have been blowing up nonstop for the last 24 hours, and it's been getting pretty goddamn annoying. So buy followers for other people, not us, because it's annoying and it makes us look more important than we are, because that's something that's really annoying. You know, we're not uh, whatever that, that one guy is uh, on Twitter that everyone has blocked, where he's trying to get like a million followers or whatever by just posting clickbait. So, yeah. Anyway, thanks for listening to Cartel Aristocrats cast number 62, and we'll see you guys next week. Have a good one.